Hey everyone, welcome back to Take to Take, episode 67, episode uh, Max Pacioretty, is that correct? Hope I'm right yes, on sir. that one. Yes, you are. Uh, we are, what are we, 10 days into playoffs now, maybe? I mean, a bit of a staggered start, especially with the North Division, but there's already a series done in the North Division. So we're going to get to that in a second. We're going to start with the first sweep of the playoffs and we were talking about sweeps in our previous episode and we were talking about it before the show very hard to predict i think i had to throw a sweep in somewhere on my bracket and i went with carolina over nashville and that has not happened but colorado sweeps uh st louis st louis eliminated in the first round for the second straight year uh last year by the vancouver canucks i'm assuming we all had colorado and uh, I think I only watched, I think I might have only watched game two of this series. Maybe it was game one, but Colorado wins for nothing. Uh, Patrick, your thoughts on that series, if any. I know Colorado's amazing, and I know a lot of people have them as the favorite to win the cup. Um, Nick, did you have Colorado win the cup, or was it Tampa? I can't remember. Tampa for me. I had Colorado. You had Colorado. I had Vegas, but I had Colorado going down the stretch. Colorado's a really good team, but St. Louis is still a good hockey team. And I don't know what happened this year. They just never really were able to figure it out, especially down the stretch. Hoffman was incredibly inconsistent, but you look at their lineup. They still have good players. They still have a good top four. They have a fantastic top nine. Tarasenko came back from injury. I think this just comes down to not matching up well against the powerhouse that is the Colorado Avalanche. And then you have Jordan, uh, Jordan Bennington, who is just a complete liability at this point. And I think his presence, the way he was playing his antics, honestly served as a major distraction from what could have been a better series had he just sort of been more composed and he wasn't, and he was being an absolute clown. And, um, you know, Colorado just seems like this terrifying team. And I, I honestly think as cool as it is to have McKinnon there and new hook, I think even though he's getting more praise, we have to talk about that Devon Taves edition and how fantastic he's been. Um, they paid what, two seconds for him or a second round pick for him, locked him up on an extremely affordable contract. Um, he's one of, I'd argue he's the most underrated defenseman in the league and he's been playing fantastic hockey and rounding out that decor with McCarr and Graves, who's been much better. You're getting good goaltending. This is just a powerhouse team and, you know, they're a lot of fun to watch. So, Nick, let yeah. me preface this as well. If you're a St. Louis Blues fan, are you worried at all? Yes, I'd be worried. Uh, Definitely not a good showing for the second year in a row. And, you know, Patrick went on for a bit there about Jordan Bennington and his antics and how incredibly poor he was in terms of goaltending this series. And he's making $6 million next year. His salary is going up from this year to next year. I believe that was a six-year deal he signed with the Blues there. So, yeah, if you're looking at that and the future and goal, obviously you're very concerned if you're a St. Louis Blues fan. And, you know, there was obviously some confidence from the Blues going into the series. You know, Ryan O'Reilly came out and said he thought the Blues were going to have some fun and take down the avalanche. And there's obviously this mood about the Blues, um, at least in their team, that they were a lot better than they actually ended out being. So I think there's something that they've got to correct there because there's this confidence in the organization that is you know, quite undeserved because they've been swept two years straight. And that's not an easy thing to, um, to do, to be swept like that two years in a row. So I I'd be concerned to find the blues. It's an aging core. Um, lots of guys on big money. There's no clear forward superstar. It's more of, you know, a very good team build, yeah. but they're, 
you know, getting a, a lot of players underperforming across the board, falling flat in the playoffs. Colorado is a good team. Uh, they're a lot better of a team than St. Louis. I picked Colorado in five in the series, but um, I didn't expect them to win every game by three goals. That was pretty surprising to me. I agree. I think uh, Bennington and net is, I don't know. I, I don't know what I thought when they signed that contract, but that is already, I think, turning around. And uh, I'm here for not. the memes. I, yeah. Well, yeah. Tweets. And he's, um, he's not exactly the most, I don't know, likable player. Maybe I should oh, say that. But there, there were some good Instagram posts that came out of that. I don't know if anybody saw Grubauer. Grubauer, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. Um, so Colorado is sitting, waiting for the winner of Vegas, Minnesota, and that series could end tonight as Vegas is currently up 3-2 on the wild. That was my upset series, so I'm really hoping Minnesota pulls through there. But the second series finish was the Boston Bruins beating the Washington Capitals and Zidane Chara in five games this one patrick did you had washington is that correct no i had boston i just had it going seven games nick you did one of us did you have I had boston in six okay, no so it's not washington was okay so we're all uh we're all right on the money there uh actually i had boston in six so none of us were right on the money but patrick your thoughts on this one washington didn't didn't put up much of a fight at all and Boston, who's looking really good again, like they seem to every year once they get to the playoffs, are waiting for the winner of Pittsburgh and the Islanders. Yeah, I think a lot of this comes down to Boston getting hot at the right time. Um, I thought Boston would take a considerable considerable step back, especially with the loss of Tory Krug. But they struggled at the start of the season, and then down the stretch, they were one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. Um, I think Bruce Cassidy is a fantastic coach who doesn't get enough attention for the way he maximizes the offensive output of that team. And I love the way the Bruins have been playing. I think the Craig Smith signing is proving to be one of the most underrated signings of the offseason to fully being another one. But I just think they got hot at the right time, and I think the way they're playing is really, really good. Patrice Bergeron is still fantastic. Brad Marchand, uh, David Pasternak, and I just – I don't know what it was with with Washington this series. Um, I'm not huge on their decor. I'm not huge on guys like Justin Schultz and, and Zdeno Chara. And um, I think in part it's coaching. Um, I know Laviolette has been around the league in a while, but I think he sort of stifled some of that talent. And I also just think the Caps are not as good as they used to be. Uh, I think the 2018 run was sort of the best they're going to get. And I look at that team now going forward. You have a lot of guys similar to St. Louis on big money contracts, but um, – I just think I think Boston's a better team, although I thought it would be a lot tighter. I thought um, there'd be some closer games. And obviously there was a Sam. Was it Samsonov? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the giveaway and Ovechkin was not pleased. It was yeah. just just a messy series overall for Washington. But can confirm, though, Taylor Hall, good hockey player. Yeah, Locker. insane, insane how good a uh, former Hart Trophy being added for a second round pick. Yes. Um, can turn out to be. And again, uh, we said that at the deadline show. Totally. Uh, I, I said, I think I thought Boston then was going to go on a run and they definitely have been, I would argue the best team in the NHL since the trade deadline and, you know, completely steamed world Washington, the series, they, there were a lot of overtimes in the series, really close series, but uh, like you pointed to Patrick, just the overall quality of the Bruins depth wise really came through here. Um, and again, more Stanley cup playoffs memes. I'm all for the, you said forever. Now I skate alone past your bench glimpse of Zidane Chara <laughs> skating past um, the Bruins. So 
you know, good for Boston. And I, yeah, I, you know, I still think they've got mm-hmm. some legs left and could, uh, could continue to do some damage in the playoffs. Okay. Well, I'm going to pat myself on the back here and say I had both of those series. Correct. Well, I guess we all did by this one, another sweep unexpected for me, at least Winnipeg jets, four games to zero against the Edmonton Oilers and Connor McDavid. I'm not sure what the bigger storyline is coming out of this series. The fact that Winnipeg is moving on to the second round or that Connor McDavid is out in the first round again, if you can say again, but especially in a sweep, he, he wasn't a typical 100 point Connor McDavid and conversations have started about his future though. He, I think yesterday he reiterated, he is not thinking about that. He wants to stay. So I guess we can do nothing more than speculate, but Nick, why don't we start with you? Edmonton, no wins in the series. They had Mike Smith and Nett, who I don't think was the issue, but at least not this year. He had, a, he had a great year, great playoffs. But I don't know. What do you think? What do you think Edmonton does next? Well, I first off, I'll get it out of the way. I was the silly gentleman who said that the Edmonton Oilers would actually come out of the North Division. Um, so they didn't even win a game. So that's not... That, that wasn't my best work, but far from my worst prediction or take on this show. Um, in terms of Edmonton, look, obviously there's going to be a lot of questions about McDavid's future. There already has been. I can't see him moving. I can't see Edmonton dealing him. There's there's really no escape there. I, I say the word escape like lightly, but there's no escape for Connor McDavid. They're not going to move him. Whatever anybody tries to give up for Connor McDavid, the Oilers are never going to accept it because it's Connor McDavid. So he has to stick it out here. But I will say, I don't think the Edmonton Oilers are irredeemable at this point in terms of how you can transform that roster from what it is now into a team that can win a lot of hockey games going forward. I think they just have to, you know, they have to find cheap good depth and it's not that hard to do um, especially in the current salary cap climate because a lot of players are going to um, leave their teams as UFAs or they're going to be available because teams are cap crunching so I think the Edmonton Oilers really have to look at getting some better value out of um, especially out of their forwards I would say um, in terms of scoring, because they need to find players that can consistently move up and down the lineup, maybe play with McDavid. Um, and they can't be paying guys lower down their lineup, like a Shiaison or a Cassian, the kind of money they are. They have to find better value than that. Um, this was a close series um, at times. I thought, you know, Edmonton was probably unlucky not to win at least one or two games in this series. And I think on, you know, in a different world, they may um, just have done that, but, you know, credit to Winnipeg. They were, um, clutch when they needed to close it out. They looked great. Nick Ehlers was fantastic when he came back from injury and, uh, you know, and suddenly Winnipeg looks a scary proposition with Connor Hellebuck in between the pipes and the depth, uh, stepping up. So before we get to you, Pat, I, I'm not sure who it was, but there was, there was a tweet saying, you know, if you flip a coin four times, the chance of it landing on heads in each of those four times is, you know, whatever, 12.5, 6.25, I guess, 6.25%, uh, the chance of that happening. And maybe that's what we saw with this Winnipeg Edmonton series. I don't know about that, but I do agree with you in the sense that, yeah, Edmonton probably should have grabbed at least one, maybe two out of this series. So luck uh, wasn't on their side. I'm not sure if you computer boys have anything on luck in a series, but another thing 
with with Connor McDavid, I feel Edmonton has a, and I think it's a fortunate situation to be in that they're not a team that has an aging core and they, their window is closing soon. As long as they've got McDavid and Drysaddle, who luck, thankfully are uh, very close in age, they're going to be able to do it. So whether, you know, they deserve that, that leeway on time or not, they've got it. So it'll be interesting to see how they, they just keep taking shots at a cup and cause I can't see a team with McDavid ever rebuilding. So they're in a lucky spot there, but uh, Patrick, any thoughts on that series? I just think that's the price to pay when you don't have enough depth. Look, um, and of course now every time this happens, every playoffs, there's always a McKinnon and McDavid debate um, of who's the better hockey player. And I think a lot of it comes down to playoff numbers. And I've seen this debate a lot. McDavid is the best player in the, in the world. There's no debate there. And I think a lot of the numbers that McKinnon has, like McKinnon has 63 points in 40, 44 playoff games. And McDavid only, only has 22 points in 21 playoff games, which for McDavid standards is not the best. But I think that's just what happens when you don't have enough depth. Um, the wingers that Winnipeg has and their supporting cast in the bottom six guys like Cop, Lowry, Appleton um, are good bottom six guys to have who can produce, who can play good defense, play well defensively. Edmonton doesn't really have those guys. The Kyle Turris experiment was an absolute failure. And I know some of us thought that it could have worked out because there was a point when Kyle Turris was a good hockey player. Um, that hasn't worked. Um, I think you've seen good things in, in Jesse Pugliarvi, but again, nothing to really put them over the edge. And, you know, as hard as it is to shut down McDavid, when you only really have McDavid and I got and dry settle too, but I wasn't impressed with dry settle this series. When you only have McDavid, you can cling to him. And then when he's off the ice, Edmonton is just not a good hockey team, especially defensively. Um, I know people don't like Mike Smith and I understand that, but he's had a fantastic series. I thought he's the only reason this, what I'm not, it can't get much worse than a sweep, but he's the only reason they weren't consistently blown out um, by the jets, but um, they're going to have to do something because they've got some contracts up. I know people are worried they might overpay Tyson Berry, which I think is a serious possibility. I don't think they should do it. Um, but I think they, they need depth. And like Nick said, you have to find guys who are somewhat cheap, like the way Winnipeg did cop Lowry, those bottom six guys are good. Um, and they, and they need some of that. So. Well, Patrick, it is, uh, it's your time to shine here All right. and let's not be around the bush. Montreal has lost three straight to Toronto after winning yes, game one and mm, they can't seem to score. They can't seem to defend. The only thing I think they've got going for them is a, Typical playoffs carry price. Yep, I'd assume you'd agree there. But yep. uh, let's let's start let's start big here. Uh, as the resident Habs fan, give me, give me your thoughts on on all four games, not just not just this back to back that they struggled more than anything. I think yeah, the whole series. I, last night's game especially was pretty pathetic. The other games, I thought, it, you know, not, I don't want to say could have gone either way, but they were at least somewhat close. Um, I think their approach is trying to do what Columbus did and what the Bruins have done before. And that's be a physical team and sort of drag them down to that style of play of, of playing a, a, as Brian Burke would say, a big, ugly type of hockey game out hitting um, all that stuff. I don't think you can do that because if it was the 2017 Maple Leafs or last year's Maple Leafs, sure. But Toronto has the, the size and those type of guys to counter it really easily. Guys like Wayne Simmons, Joe Thornton, um, and I think that approach is just completely flawed. Um, 
I also just don't think they match up well against Toronto. Toronto is a better hockey team. Toronto has better forwards. Toronto has better defense. Montreal, the only reason this hasn't been a sweep, I think, is because of Carey Price. So I don't know how to fix the approach. A lot of the decision-making is extremely odd. Uh, Alexander Romanov has yet to touch the ice all series. This is someone they hyped up as being like the savior to Montreal's blue line, someone who can move the puck, and he hasn't touched the ice once. So um, it's just it hasn't been good, and I think the only, it sucks because – Price is the only reason it's been an exciting series. He's making these godlike saves. Montreal will have a fantastic first period, be invisible for the rest of the game, and then push in the last two minutes. But, um, and I know a lot of Jack Campbell's getting a lot of attention. I don't want to take anything away from Jack Campbell because he has been a good goalie, but he has not been tested at all. Montreal is not getting anything of substance. They're lobbing point shots. They're lobbing shots from the point. And while Jack Campbell did shut them out and he is playing well, he is not the reason Toronto is is dominating the series it's a lot of toronto's transition play so um i'm not impressed i just kind of want it to be done at this point put me out of my misery well you've clearly thought about it uh nick do you think the Sens should be in there in place of the habs you think they'd give the leafs a bit more of a run for their money i think it would have been closer i think uh i think ottawa might have given them a bit more of a test than this um, i think it like would have been Patrick more entertaining said, yes um i i well i don't know i think the old time rivalry is pretty entertaining but I think just in our circles, I think uh, my level of annoyance to some people um, yes. would have been, yeah, that would, that would have been entertaining, but <laughs> um, no, I think I, you know, the senators, uh, you know, didn't deserve to be in the playoffs based on how they started, but who knows what would have happened if they made it. But um, Patrick pretty much hit every point. Montreal needs to be better. They need to do something better offensively than just throwing point shots towards the net, because that's not, you're not going to score on Jack Campbell that way. Um, you might score on Frederick Anderson based on how he's played this year. That way, Jack Campbell's dialed in right now. He's had a great year. You're not going to score on him uh, by floating pucks from the point. Um, Patrick mentioned Romanov. I, I, you got to get him into the lineup next game. As far as I'm concerned at the expense of one of Edmondson or Sherratt, unfortunately, Sherratt. I can't see them doing either of that because Dominic Ducharme is very stubborn. And I think that's another thing here. Um, I think Montreal probably would have had a better time in the series if Claude Julien was still at the home, as opposed to Dominic Ducharme, because I think his um, lack of experience in this situation in the NHL and the Stanley Cup playoffs is really starting to show here because he hasn't made enough changes throughout to try and address that um, Montreal struggles. And, you know, Cole Caulfield's been their best forward the past two games, and he sat in the press box the first two. That's, yeah, yikes. And we all said that at the time, yikes. Yep. And it's still yikes. It's. I think it's a lot of mindset too. Sorry, Luke. I think Montreal is so worried about what's going to happen when Matthews is on the ice that they have to counter that instead of thinking, <clears throat> how can we be dangerous with Caulfield on the ice? It's always about counterattack, counterattack, defense and counter. And without Paul Byron's heroics in game one and that brilliant goal, Montreal probably loses that game because Toronto has the firepower to push back and Montreal doesn't. So um, I, again, I think there's also a lot of string pulling going on. Um, Bergevin, I think has a lot more influence on the lineup. I think the need to put his deadline acquisitions in the lineup uh, suggests that Bergevin is, is not, I don't want to say coaching the team, but I, I, I I have a feeling that Ducharme does not have full say. And I always look back at his press conference when he got hired, what he says about analytics does not match his decision-making. And I think that's where Bergevin comes in. Cause we know he's a very, you know, old school type of hockey player, but anyway. Okay. Well, game five uh, tomorrow in Toronto, 
I genuinely think uh, Montreal wins that. I think they have to. I don't think Toronto wins on their first chance to close the series out. And then I think it goes back to Montreal where they've got some fans and, you know, can't see Montreal losing for their first game in front of fans. And then can you see Toronto winning a game seven in uh, first round? No. So are we, like are we talking Montreal is going to come away with this one? Yeah. We're going to talk uh, John Tavares here and why, whether it's John Tavares or what happened after, because I think, I think everyone has seen what transpired, whether you would have liked to see the 800 replays or not, you have seen what happened. Uh, so we don't necessarily need to need to go over that because it wasn't a malicious hit. It wasn't a dirty incident. It wasn't anything like that. It was dangerous. It was scary. Emphasis on scary. I think we can all agree there. But what happened after with uh, Nick Felino and Corey Perry was uh, more so of a conversation. So, uh, Nick, why don't we start with you on the injury itself, uh, whether you have anything to say about that, though I think we all agree. But uh, the quote-unquote code that came into play afterwards. I don't even know if this is the code because again, we, n- none of us know what the code is. The players can't tell you what the code is. Nobody involved in hockey can actually tell you what the code is. Um, I said right off the bat that I was not a fan of the fight that took place right after the John Tavares injury, obviously horrific injury, horrific incident. You don't, you hate to see that happen to anybody in the world. Um, even in the playoffs, even it's when it's a top rival for the Montreal Canadiens, you hate to see that happen to a player like John Tavares, who is genuinely a good person and a good hockey player. But I have to say, through everything that happened after that, when Nick Foligno scrapped with Corey Perry after the play, um, I lost any respect I had for Nick Foligno because I thought it, I thought that was completely unnecessary. I thought it it was cowardly. I like everything. I thought it was one of the most disgusting things I've seen in the NHL this year because the la- it, I find I found it insensitive first on because Corey Perry went over and skated to John Tavares, even though it was complete accident, apologized and everything. And I've heard the excuse thrown around already that Nick Felino wanted to just re-energize the game and all of that. I don't buy that because if Nick Felino wanted to get energy back into the game, he could have fought any of the Montreal Canadiens. It didn't have to specifically be Corey Perry. Didn't have to specifically be Nick Felino doing it. I will die on the hill that I think part of this that plays into it is the Toronto Maple Leafs gave up a lot for Nick Felino. That trade yes. is going to be under the microscope as long as Toronto plays in the playoffs and whatever Nick Felino does is going to be evaluated based on what Toronto gave up for him. And I think part of this is Nick Felino trying to justify the massive um, group of assets that the Toronto Maple Leafs gave yes. up. Sorry. It, it, not a huge group of assets, but you know, a first round pick and he wasn't worth a first round pick. And we debated that. I still think they overpaid for him and he has to justify that by doing things like this. And um and I will stand by. I think it was disgusting. I think it was cowardly of Nick Foligno to sit there and try and defend that as just something that needed to happen, regardless of the situation with Tavares. And um, as he put it, our captain was laying there down on the ice and that's all there is to it. I don't buy that for a second. And uh, I, you know, to subject Corey Perry to um, the risk of injury after an accidental play, I think is the most ridiculous thing to try and excuse. 
I I agree. And again, we've had this conversation. You guys know I'm I'm not anti-fighting in hockey. I think there is somewhat of a place for it. Everyone who was talking about the code, some things are bigger than the code. And when something as scary as this happens, then to hell with the code, because that doesn't matter in this context. That was one of the scariest things I've seen while watching live hockey, especially when his eyes went back and he fell back. I think of other injuries I've seen live. I think of the Pacioretty injury. I think, anyway, it doesn't matter. We don't have to compare them, but that's one of the scariest things. And when you see what happens, all the Maple Leafs went off their bench. Thornton and Matthews is on the verge of crying. Thornton is shaken up. You look at the Montreal bench. Brett Kulak was almost crying. Everyone is shaken up. Spets is talking to Tavares, making sure he's conscious, making sure he can keep communicating. Joel Edmondson is helping the Montreal Canadiens doctors come on the ice and help help tend to John Tavares. The announcers have no clue what to say. And this is something that is so much bigger than the code. Corey Perry felt, he said, he felt absolutely sick to his stomach. He wanted to throw up. And you know that he's feeling like absolute crap when that happens. It was a completely freak incident. And the entire, and when the, the entire time that this was happening, when everyone was tending to John Tavares, when they were helping with the doctors, there was one person who was making it about himself. And that one person was Nick Felino. The entire time, the moment they got the stretcher out, the moment they were helping the doctors on, there was one player who was making it about himself and getting the fight going. And that was Nick Felino. He was barking at Corey Perry the entire time. Spets is tending to Tavares. The Leafs bench is shaken up. Montreal's bench is shaken up. The coaches are shaken up. And Nick Felino this entire time is barking at Corey Perry. Shea Weber goes over. He's like, man, like you got to relax. And I, I urge people to look back at that replay because Felino makes it about himself. And like Nick Sorry, said, this is going on when they're like getting Tavares up off the ice. I don't know the exact time, but at the point mm. when, when they're tending to Tavares, whether, I don't know if the stretcher's there or not. Everyone is helping. Everyone's in shock. And Felino's barking at Perry. I, because I did see I did see on the broadcast after Tavares has gone oh, off and they're they're getting ready to get play going again and Felino's over talking to Perry and then I see Weber come over I a, a good chunk of the when he initially went down Felino was there and then the cameras never cut to them so I, okay. I don't know I if didn't... they were there or not but there was there was scenes before and after where Felino was clearly pissed off and I understand emotions are running high I understand it's your captain but again I think Nick nailed it there. The The Leafs paid a hefty price to get Nick Foligno. Nick, whatever you think of Nick Foligno, he's not worth a first. And I thought this was just a gutless, classless play uh, from someone. And I also think, what do you do? What You don't accomplish anything by that. Because let's say Foligno gets a really good punch at Perry and Perry gets knocked out. What you risk injuring Corey Perry because he accidentally injured your captain. And I don't know. I, I think of other gruesome, scary injuries. I think of the... Richard Zednick, uh, Ollie Jokinen injury. When Jokinen fell awkwardly, his skate cut Zednick in the neck. Should Ollie Jokinen have to fight someone because he accidentally did that? I don't think he should. I just thought I, I, I'm with Nick here. I lost a lot of respect for Felino. It doesn't accomplish anything. And anyone who's using Perry's reputation as justification for, for fighting him, I also think is stupid. Um, and again, and I tweeted it the other day, Rasmus Sandin awkwardly ran into Lekin and snapped his head back and Lekin, I'm pretty sure has a minor, minor concussion. Does hey. Sandin have to answer the bell for that? It, and this opens a can of worms like that, right? That's going to yes. raise these questions now. And I think that's, that's and ultimately no, what has come out of this when it had no reason to. I am going to say, I, when I think of, when I look at this, I don't really point the finger directly at Felino. Like maybe you do Patrick, 
I I more just look at the fact that Felino clearly thought he had to do that. And I think that's more what's wrong is that they're playing in, in a league where that's expected and even encouraged by some people. Uh, that's where I take issue with it. I'm, I'm not so... I'm not sure I agree with you where you say Felino was making it specifically about himself. I think maybe you lose me a bit there. I think there is a huge issue that Felino thought he had to do that. Whether that was entirely Felino's intention, I'm not sure. Regardless, if that's all we have to say on that, we can get into awards. It's going to be less of predictions as we did at the beginning of the year, more of a conversation because we mostly agree, I think, which, you know, will always make for an exciting talk. Uh, We'll do that right after this short break. We'll be back in a few. I think it was it was probably over the Christmas break. I'm assuming we did this. I don't actually know off the top of my head, but we went over a set of awards and Patrick has done uh, the due diligence of going through and marking these all down for us. So we're going to go one by one here, see how we did. Let's start with the Calder trophy for the league's best rookie. Now, I think... We can all agree. Well, actually, you know what? I won't say that for this one. So let's just, let's do our initial picks. Uh, Nick and I both had Tim Stutzla. Patrick had Kirill Kaprizov. Patrick, you're probably right here. Nick, uh, well, Patrick, I'm assuming you still say Kaprizov. Yeah, I do. Nick, you too? Yeah, I'd also go Kaprizov. I do too. I think we have to give a bit of a shout out to a Robertson brother, not Nick, by the name of Jason. He had a phenomenal second half of the year. But Patrick, it was your it was your pick. You actually got this one right. Uh, do you have anything to add? Do you want to brag a bit on Kirill Kaprizov? Yeah, I mean, I always like when I'm when I'm right with my predictions. I knew Kaprizov was going to be good. I think playing against men and also being 23, I didn't think he'd step into the league and be that dynamic. I was definitely surprised. I, I honestly wasn't too impressed with this, or I didn't think that this year's call the race would be anything at least compared to previous years but no Kaprizov is a fantastic hockey player and he's finally bringing some excitement to Minnesota and I'm, I'm pleased with my pick and I think it's it, he will win it but again Jason Robertson had a fantastic season so can't can't that can't go unnoticed Nick you had Stutzla Senators bias or not he had a good year I think you can be you know from a Canucks fan perspective I think you can be perfectly pleased with that year I'm assuming you'd have him below Kaprizov and Robertson, though. Do you have anything to say on on the pick now? Yeah, I, I think Stutzla had a fine year. I think he was solid. Um, you know, I think I lowered my expectations after the first few games. I became sort of more realistic with it, and I thought he was perfectly fine. But funny enough, I think he ended up being the third best Senators rookie this year behind Josh Norris, who I think should get some votes, and Artem Zub. Artem Zub. It's a good one, Nick. I'm, I, I think I remember, again, I don't know when, January or February, we were talking about him playing, and I don't think anyone expected him to actually legitimately Actually push. be good. Didn't yeah. expect him to, I didn't expect him to be real. And <laughs> good. Good for him. We're, we're proud of him for being real. Uh, Norris, best defenseman in the league. I had Shea Theodore. Pat, you had Alex Petrangelo. That's a tough look. And look. I guess we let Nick pick two. 
he had Charlie McAvoy <laughs> and Kale McCarr, both really good picks. I'm not sure the pick we'd have now is even on this list. I would go with Adam Fox, so I really like both of Nick's. Uh, Nick, are you going to take either of those, or would you go Fox as well? I, you see, I'm torn still. Um, I think I did well with my picks. I think McCarr, the only thing that might take him out is the amount of time he missed due to injury this yeah. year. He did miss a chunk. But um, I would have, I, I, I'd go Fox and McAvoy as my 1A, 1B, and then McCarr I'd still have on my ballot. But that's going to be really close. I do really like my uh, McAvoy pick. I think he was fantastic in all situations this year. And I'd honestly probably give him the edge. Um, in the Norris race this year but as most people who are filling out ballots in real life keep saying this year it the Norris trophy race is a bit of a crapshoot nobody really knows what to expect I think people um, traditionally have been looking towards Victor Hedman I am not sure why and haven't been sure why Um, probably not even my top five Victor Hedman but I would still go with McAvoy I like my pick well Patrick Alex Petrangelo nope didn't have it this year um I did say, however, Jeff Peachy would get a lot more attention this year, and I was snickered at, and I think I deserve some credit there. But no, um, I'll go Adam Fox as my one and also Charlie McAvoy as my two. Um, massive honorable mention to my boy Adam Pellick in the, from the New York Islanders, who's having a fantastic defensive season. Um, if you follow Jay Fresh, you know that Jay Fresh is also very high on him. I would also agree with Nick in his... Um, Artem Zuba valuation. I was going to say Victor Hedman, but Artem <laughs> as well. Uh, Hedman is still a top defenseman. Hedman is still an elite defenseman. Hedman's just not having a very good season compared to other ones. And again, I think um, I think so much of reputation ties into that. But I would I would say that my three that I mentioned were uh, were the ones. I also think Shea Theodore had a fantastic season, Luke. That's not that's not a bad pick. But I also feel like he's not I the thought... type of player that old hockey men like enough. Uh, I, th- I, th- I agree. Uh, he had a really good season. Yeah. I thought he was going to kind of break out even more. Maybe that's yes. coming because I think his ceiling, he's not quite there yet. I agree. Uh, we'll see on that one. But Vesna Trophy, I had maybe a bit of bias. Jacob Markstrom. Nick had Carter Hart. Yikes. Yikes. And yeah, uh, Patrick probably had the best here, Andre Vasilevsky. Whether it's Vasilevsky, Hellebuck, Flurry. A lot, a lot of good names, not many that uh, maybe we had talked about in that episode. But Patrick, I'll give this one to you again. Vasilevsky was your pick. Are you sticking with that? Yep. I don't really have much to say. He's just been too good this season. Uh, you would know I got him from you in fantasy in exchange for Braden Shen. But um, Do, uh, we don't, I don't, you know how, what I think about goalies. So well, we talk I, about that. well, if I may, you had Markstrom winning the Vesna but you didn't have Calgary making the playoffs at the start of so the season. What? Well, how does that make sense? Don't you think he'd be good enough to. The two you know, things weren't connected when I was making those predictions. Fair enough. Uh, no, I'll stick with Vasilevsky. He's been too good. I'll also go Vasilevsky. He's been quite good. I can't he has talk a lot about goals. Quite like, good. It's just, you're just good or you're not. I, yeah. I, I do like flurry this year. Well, I, I don't know if I'd give him the best goalie in the league award, but. He's been a thrill to watch, and it's nice to see him. I don't know. I wouldn't say coming back around, but he's still one of the best goalies in the league, and that's awesome. The heart, the the one we love to talk about, especially when it comes to definition. I had Artemi Panarin. That was a tough one. Uh, the Rangers had a weird year. He had a weird year. Not sure if I should get, uh, quote-unquote, snickered at for that one. 
Patrick had Jack Eichel. I think we can uh, snicker at him for that one. And at the time, Nick it's a reasonable pick. Had Austin say? Matthews, which good pick. Uh, I don't know, Nick. Why don't why, why don't you kick that one off? The heart. Are you going to stick with Austin Matthews? Because I probably wouldn't. I think he's going to get votes, but I don't see how you can give this award to anybody but Connor McDavid at this point. Because my God, did he have a good year? Um, Matthews was fantastic this year. Rocket Richard winner, obviously. You know, you can go on and on about Matthews' impact on the Leafs this year. He was outstanding. But again, you can't. Um, help but respect the fact that mcdavid simply blew the entire league out of the water and you know you have to put that ahead of matthew's terrific goal scoring season pat jack eichel at the time i think that's a very reasonable pick but anyway uh yeah mcdavid it has to be mcdavid you take mcdavid away from that you take you take mcdavid away from that team compared to taking matthews away from the leafs there's still a core, yeah. a very good core. And, and that is path. how that award works. So McDavid, yes, as Luke likes to remind us every single time. Can't, He's not over my Kucherov pick from a couple of years no. ago. Mm, yeah, can't, can't do that. That's not allowed. We will round it off with Yart Ross. Nick and I both had someone by the name of Connor McDavid. No brainer. Genius pick, I think, Nick. Virtual high yeah. five for that one. Patrick had um, Nathan... Mackinnon, I'm not sure who that is, but wasn't Connor McDavid. So that's a tough look, Pat. Uh, anything to say on that one? <laughs> Nothing to say. Can we do Selkie though? Real I quick? don't. I couldn't care less about Selkie, but go ahead. Give us your Selkie pick, Patrick. We'll so earlier on in the season, I was going to say Alexander Barkov, and I was going to say that because for all the talk about him being underrated, he really wasn't that good, and he became good this year, much better defensively. But I'm going to say Mark Stone because I love Mark Stone, and he's. Just He's doing the thing. Well, I'll say Barkov. He's then. neat. But Jordan Stahl also on Jordan Stahl will be my pick. Eric Stahl. Okay. Eric Stahl. We're gonna we're gonna leave it there. Uh, probably by our next episode, Montreal is gonna be in the second round, which is great, Stop which it. is super cool. So we're all looking forward to that. Um, that'll do it for our mid first round recap and our pre awards show discussion. Thanks for listening, everyone. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll catch you next time.